There is a danger for us to over-sentimentalize the birth of Jesus. We have this cherubic image of Jesus, this blonde, curly-haired boy with blue eyes, smiling in the manger, looking up at his mom and dad who are serenely looking down on him in peaceful prayer. We probably often think of the angels hovering over top of the stable and these shepherds coming with these cute little sheep up to the manger side. Maybe we even picture snow floating down. That was something that threw me off when I went to the Holy Land in November one year and they had snowflakes in their windows in the Holy Land. I'm like, why do you have snow in the Holy Land? It doesn't make any sense. But it's part of this sentimental idea of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. What was the reality? The reality is that they were in a stable and not like a nice barn that we would see out in the country nowadays. Their stable was probably more likely like carved into rock, almost like a tomb with a bunch of stinky animals. And they were there because they went to Joseph's hometown to be counted, which meant that they weren't the only people from Joseph's family there, but apparently nobody else from Joseph's family wanted anything to do with them. And so they were alone. And then the first people to come and visit this new baby was a bunch of strangers who'd never met any of them before. And it was cold desert night outdoors. And that's what they had. And then we hear the gospel today where Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to do what they're supposed to do 40 days after the birth of their son, which is to consecrate him to the Lord, which is kind of parallel with baptism. And just think about bringing your child for baptism in the church. And the priest goes, oh yeah, God told me your son is going to undergo a lot of suffering and so are you. That's your destiny, to suffer. And they rejoiced. It was anything but sentimental. This was not the reality that they experienced. And yet love was present. There's three quotes from Pope Francis that I hold on to all the time, but probably my favorite is the shortest. Love coexists with imperfection. Love coexists with imperfection. And we know this to be true because of the birth of Jesus. Because of our belief that the Son of God became flesh, born of a woman, born into a family with Mary and Joseph, and became one like us. That grace came and united itself to the weakness of humanity. Grace didn't come to help us escape our earthly existence. Grace didn't come to supersede whatever we already knew in this life. Grace didn't come to dominate the material world or suffering or anything like that. It didn't even come to replace any of that. Love came to coexist with imperfection. And that's a choice by God that has consequences for how we understand him and how we understand the way that we live in the world. Love chooses to coexist with what is imperfect. So then when we think about family life, how does that make us think of it differently? When you have a messy house and people make apologies for the messy house when the priest shows up or when your company shows up, I'm sorry I didn't have time to clean the house like I wanted to, is that a sign of your imperfect housekeeping and your laziness? Or is it a sign of a house that's well lived in? 
If your children are testing boundaries, trying to push to see what they're going to be allowed to do, trying to just push past the limit of the rule that you've set for them, is that misbehaving kids? Or is that kids that feel safe enough to grow and to come to understand what is right and wrong and know that they have a place to fall back on when they make the mistake? Or when you get into an argument with your spouse, is that an indicator that you have a problem in your marriage? Or is it an indicator that you both care enough about something that you're willing to fight over it and to find the solution for it? Love coexists with imperfection. And this is different than kind of positive thinking. I'm not saying that you know, you're supposed to think positively about situations that are imperfect. That's not what love coexisting with imperfection means. It means that we see and we look for what is rather than focusing on what is not. We don't keep our attention on everything that is lacking and everything that is imperfect, but rather we choose to seek what does exist and what is good. And that's where I think our sentimentalization of Christmas comes from. Because everything that we sentimentalize about Christmas is the goodness that radiates through the imperfection of Christmas night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The fact that this holy family was together at peace with the birth of a child and this glorious announcement to shepherds that even strangers would come to visit this child. These are the good things that radiate through the imperfection of those circumstances of that situation of the Holy Family. Because our God chooses to coexist with what is imperfect. And this should make us think twice about the way that we look at ideals, particularly of family life, and how we approach them or strive for them. Because first of all, what is the ideal of family life? Right? Sometimes we have this picture of this particular house with this particular amount of kids and this particular amount of pets and this particular amount of vehicles and this particular amount of income and this particular amount of traveling and activities. And once those are kind of in a nice little balance, then there's the ideal of family life. Well, based on what? And based on who? We can create these ideals that we're striving for to create a family of our own making. But if what we're striving for is love coexisting with imperfection, you can't make love. You can't create love. Love is God, and it is received and then given. And so family life isn't something that you can make of your own choosing. It's something that you receive and then you give. It's the reason for the importance of children and being open to children in family life as a Catholic. Because love is received through the husband and the wife and it is given to the children. And that natural ebb and flow of receiving of love and of giving of love is the whole point of family life and the Christian life. It's what is received and then given as we heard in the second reading from Colossians. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you forgive. Because love coexists with imperfection. We'll often tell kids 
when they come to confession, because inevitably they confess something about having fights with their siblings, because everyone fights with their siblings. What I tell them is, you might not be able to see it now, but as long as you are willing to give forgiveness and to offer forgiveness, no matter how many times your fight, your love will grow. You might not be able to see it now. You might only be able to see it when you no longer live under the same roof. But if you continue to choose to forgive your family members and to offer forgiveness, love will grow because love coexists with imperfection. This is why the two come together. The norm of family life in the Catholic understanding is a husband and a wife and children. But love coexists in imperfection. And many of our families do not exist under that norm, which does not mean that love does not dwell there. Because what we celebrate with the Holy Family, what we celebrate at Christmas, is that God, who is perfect love, willingly chose to coexist, to commingle with human weakness, human imperfection, and to dwell there. And that's what I would invite you to ponder at this tail end of our octave of Christmas, of this celebration of our Christmas days, is that God's choice was to coexist with imperfection. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your understanding of God? And what does that mean for your understanding of how you live with your own families?